Chapter 9 of Marjorie Dean, High School Freshman, by Pauline Lester. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Ashley Jane. Chapter 9 A Bitter Moment. Marjorie went soberly up the steps of her home that afternoon. Her pleasure in making the team had been short lived. She wondered if it would not be better to write her resignation. How could she bear to play on a team when three of the members had decided to drop her acquaintance? Still, they had not chosen her to play on the team. Why, then, should she resign? She decided to consult her captain on the subject, then changed her mind. She would not trouble her mother with such petty grievances. This prejudice against Constance Stevens had originated wholly with Mignon LaSalle. Perhaps the French girl would soon forget it, and it would die a natural death. Marjorie was not mortally hurt over the turn of the afternoon's affairs. She had not been so deeply impressed with the importance of Mignon and her friends that she failed to see their snobbish tendencies. She liked Jerry's blunt independence and Irma's gentle, lovable personality. With the optimism of sixteen, she declined to worry over what had happened, and her report to her captain at the end of that troubled afternoon included only the pleasant events of the day. When she went to school the next Monday morning, she discovered that it did hurt, just a trifle, to be deliberately cut by the picture girl and instead of being greeted with Susan Atwell's dimpled smile, to receive an icy stare from that young woman, as, later in the morning, they passed each other in the corridor. In some mysterious manner, the story of the disagreement had been noised about the freshman class, with the result that Marjorie's acquaintance was eagerly sought by a number of freshmen, whom she knew merely by sight, and that several girls, who had made it a point to smile and nod to her, now passed her, frigid and unsmiling. As for the members of the little group Marjorie had watched so earnestly before she had been enrolled as a freshman at Sanford, they were now divided indeed. As the week progressed, the terrible trio, as Jerry had satirically named Mignon, Muriel and Susan, endeavoured to make plain to whoever would listen to them that there was but one side to the story, namely their side. Emulating Marjorie's example, Jerry and Irma had taken particular pains to be friendly with Constance Stevens. After an eloquent dissertation on friendship, delivered by Marjorie at their locker on the Monday morning following her disagreement with the other girls, Constance had shed a few happy tears, and admitted that she had rather be best friends with Marjorie than anyone else in the world. The hardest part of it all for Marjorie was her basketball practice. It was dreadful to be on speaking terms with only one girl on the team, Harriet Delaney, and she was not overly cordial. Marjorie tried to remember that Miss Randall had appointed her to her position that the right to play was hers. But the unfriendly players made her nervous, and she lost her usual snap and daring. 
The second week's practice came, and she resolved to play up to her usual form, but, try as she might, she fell far short of the promise she had shown at the tryout. She also noted uneasily that, no matter how early she reported for practice, the team seemed always to be in the gymnasium before her, and that one of the substitutes invariably held her position. The freshmen had challenged the sophomores to play against them on the first Saturday afternoon in November. It was now the latter part of October, and both teams were utilising as much of their spare time as possible in preparing for the fray. "'Are you going to practice this afternoon?' whispered Geraldine Macy to Marjorie as they left the algebra class on Monday morning. Marjorie nodded. "'Oh, dear,' grumbled Jerry under her breath. "'I wanted to talk to you about the Halloween party.' "'What Halloween party?' asked Marjorie, opening her eyes. "'Haven't you your invitation?' It was Jerry's turn to look surprised. "'I don't even know what you're talking about.' Their entrance into the study hall put an end to the conversation. It was renewed at noon, however, when Jerry, Irma, Marjorie and Constance trooped out of the school building together, a seemingly contented quartet. "'Just imagine, girls,' announced Jerry excitedly. "'Marjorie doesn't know a thing about the Halloween party. "'She hasn't her invitation either. "'I think that's awfully queer.' I haven't mine, but I know all about it, put in Constance Stevens quietly. Who has charge of the invitations? asked Marjorie. Miss Arnold, you'd better see her about yours today. Of course you both want to go. But what is it, and where is it held? questioned Marjorie. It's a big dance. Western High School, that's the boys' school, gives a party to Sanford High on every Halloween night. It's a town institution, and as unchangeable as any law the Medes and Persians ever thought of making, informed Jerry. Oh, how splendid, exclaimed Marjorie. I should like to know some nice Sanford boys, and I love to dance. Then you ought to meet my brother Hal declared Jerry solemnly, for he's the nicest, handsomest best boy I know. "'Wait until you see the crane,' laughed Irma Linton. "'He's the tallest boy in high school. He's six feet two inches now. They say he hasn't stopped growing either, and he is awfully thin. That's why the boys call him the crane. He doesn't mind it a bit. His real name is Sherman Norwood.' but no one ever calls him that except the teachers. During the rest of the walk home, the coming dance was the sole subject under discussion. Yes, the girls wore evening gowns, if they had them. Lots of girls wore their best summer dresses. The leading caterer of Sanford always had charge of the refreshments and the boys paid the bills. There was a real orchestra too. Of course all the teachers were there, but the pokey ones went home early, and the jolly ones, like Miss Flint and Miss Atkins, stayed until the last dance. There were countless other questions to ask, but the luncheon hour was too short to admit of any lingering on the corner. I wish we had more time to talk, 
sighed Marjorie reluctantly as she came to her street. I'd love to hear more about the dance. We'll tell you all there is to tell after school, promised Jerry. Oh, no, we can't either. You'll have to go to that old basketball practice. What a nuisance it is. And to think you have to play on the team with Mignon, Muriel and Susan after the way they've treated you. Why don't you resign? I don't believe I'll play next term, said Marjorie slowly. But I feel as though I ought to stay on the team for the rest of this term. Our game with the sophomores is set for two weeks from tomorrow. Then I believe we are to play against two teams from nearby towns. It wouldn't be fair to leave the team now, after having practised with it. I don't believe I'd bother my head much about that part of it, sniffed Jerry. I'd just quit. No, you wouldn't, Geraldine Macy, laughed Irma. You might grumble, but you wouldn't be so hateful. You don't know how hateful I can be, warned Jerry. Some other girls are likely to find out, though. Goodbye. I must not stop here another second, declared Marjorie. Goodbye, floated after her as she walked rapidly toward home. How goes it, Lieutenant? asked her father, who, with her mother, was already seated at the table as she entered the dining room. Pretty well, thank you, General, she replied, touching her hand to her curly head. I haven't heard you say a word about school for at least a week, my dear commented her mother. "'Has the novelty of Sanford High worn off so soon?' "'No, indeed, Captain,' returned Marjorie earnestly. "'I'm finding out new things every day.' She did not add that some of the new things had not been agreeable. Nor did she volunteer any further information concerning her school. The touch of reticence on the part of her usually talkative daughter caused her mother to look at her searchingly and wonder if Marjorie had something on her mind which in due season would be brought to light. The subject of the dance returning to the young girl's thoughts, she began at once to talk of it, and her enthusiastic description of the coming affair served to allay her mother's vague impression that Marjorie was not quite happy and she entered into the important discussion of what her daughter should wear with that unselfish interest belonging only to a mother. When Marjorie returned to high school that afternoon, she felt happier than she had been since her advent into Sanford High School. The thought of the coming dance brought with it a delightful thrill of anticipation. She had always had such good times at the school dances given by her boy and her girl chums of B. She hoped she would enjoy this Halloween frolic. She wondered if the terrible trio would be there. She smiled over Jerry's appropriate appellation, then frowned at herself for countenancing it. Good soldiers didn't indulge in personalities. That afternoon she found it hard, however, to concentrate her thoughts on her studies, and when Miss Atkins asked her on what day the Pilgrim Fathers landed in America, she absent-mindedly replied Halloween, to the great joy of her class. During her physiology hour, she managed to keep strictly to the subject. 
but she was impatient for the afternoon to pass, so that she could go to Miss Arnold for her invitation. Her eyes sparkled, however, when, on returning to the study hall, she saw lying on her desk a square white envelope addressed to her. "'Oh, here it is,' she thought delightedly. "'I'm so glad. I wonder if Constance has hers.' She tore open the end of the envelope with eager fingers and drew out a folded sheet of notepaper. But the light died out of her face as she read. My dear Miss Dean, For some time the members of the freshman team have been dissatisfied with your playing and have repeatedly urged me to allow Miss Thornton to play in your position on the team. Not wishing to seem unfair, Miss Randall and I watched your work at practice Wednesday afternoon and agreed that the requested change would be best. As manager of the freshman team, their welfare must ever be my first consideration. I therefore feel no hesitation in asking you for your resignation from the team. Yours sincerely, Marcia Arnold a sigh of humiliation that was half a sob rose to Marjorie's lips. Her chin quivered ominously. Suddenly a dreadful thought flashed across her brain. Suppose Mignon and the others were watching her to see how she received the bad news. Marjorie's desire to cry left her. She leaned back in her seat and assumed an air of indifference far removed from her real state of mind. Then she calmly refolded the letter and placed it in its envelope with the impassivity of a young sphinx. Later that afternoon, as Mignon LaSalle strolled out of school between her two satellites, Susan and Muriel, she was heard to declare with disappointed peevishness that that priggish Miss Dean was either too stupid to resent or too thick-skinned to feel a plain out-and-out -out snub. End of chapter 9 Recording by Ashley Jane